Hello, I'm Melanie Cole. Welcome to Anxiety in Schools, a special podcast series from Rogers Behavioral Health. This is episode number three of our six-part series where we look at anxiety and how it can impact learning. In this episode, we'll discuss accommodation, and I'd like to welcome Dr. David Jacoby. He's the lead psychologist, child and adolescent CBT services at Rogers Behavioral Health. Dr. Jacoby, what is accommodation and what are those specific behaviors intended to do? Thank you, Melanie. Accommodation is really a set of behaviors on the part of anybody who really has interactions with the child. So, you know, typically we think of of parents, but it could be really anyone. It could be teachers, coaches, or even extended family members who have, you know, kind of constant or repeated uh, interactions with the child. These are really behaviors that are designed to ease the child's distress, certainly due to their anxiety, and also really to allow them to function, or at least that's the perception that these accommodations will help the child function socially in school and so forth. So some of the things that we, you know, we think about when we're thinking about accommodation are uh, in the world of obsessive compulsive disorder might be helping with uh, completing rituals. So helping get through a shower or hand wash or getting dressed in the morning or getting organized and out to school. Uh, could be giving in to the child's, you know, demands about something. So, you know, assisting with certain chores or, um, you know, the child may have an area in the house that's just completely pristine, and so they may say, you know, no one can enter their room, for example. It can also take the form of, you know, providing reassurance to the child. So a child may worry about some school-related activity, exam, or social interaction, be concerned about whether the doors are locked or their hands are clean, and so the parent willingly provides that reassurance so the child feels better. Uh, it could be completing tasks for the child. So, for example, our many of our kids really struggle with getting homework done because of their worry and anxiety. So many of our parents will actually either assist quite heavily with that process or even do the child's homework for them so that the child doesn't experience failure or fall behind in school. Uh, a couple other things we see with accommodation would be reducing the child's responsibilities around the house so you don't have to do chores or expectations of other siblings. And then lastly, at times, encouraging or allowing avoidance of situations that are really difficult for the child, such as, you know, social interactions, going to school, participating in extracurricular types of activities. Dr. Jacoby, is accommodation, you've described all these different specific behaviors and what they were intended to do. Is this a good thing? Is it a positive thing? Or can it have some negative implications? We kind of think of it as being kind of a double-edged sword in a sense that parents and family members, teachers and so forth are doing what they believe is helpful for the child to certainly reduce their distress or improve their ability to, to function. But in reality, what we find, and there's been a fair uh, amount of research on this area, is that it really works against what we're trying to accomplish in terms of our interventions, uh, treatment interventions. So if if it seems like a parent is being overprotective and helping this child get through these things and it's an anxious child, what are some of the specific strategies that you might recommend? You know, speak to us a little bit about accommodation and how it impacts that student and the school. Well, certainly, you know, again, parents are trying to, to help their child you know, do well uh, and be able to perform in school, to be able to deal with the stresses of school, to get their homework done and so forth. But, you know, in reality, what we're seeing are kids who 
are finding it difficult to pay attention uh, in the classroom. Uh, they may kind of keep to themselves, whereas before they were involved in you know, class discussions. They may be hesitant to offer uh, opinions in the classroom setting, uh, just look like they're sad or struggling, uh, ask to leave the classroom setting as well as a way to kind of manage their anxiety if they're feeling overwhelmed. Uh, may also ask a lot of questions, you know, of their teachers, a lot of reassurance seeking about what's being assigned or about performance or things of that nature. So in the classroom setting, it can take on a lot of different uh, looks, um, but all of these sort of indicate that the child is really not struggling well, particularly uh, in comparison to maybe how they had been uh, performing and doing uh, prior to the onset of these anxiety symptoms. Do you think it can limit opportunities for the student to learn if they don't fear consequences? Does it reduce their motivation to change or to tackle some of these things by themselves? You know, it can. Again, I think the you know, parents, and we're certainly not in the you know the process of trying to make parents feel bad about the accommodation or make school personnel feel bad about this. They're doing what they think is helpful, but it really does at, at times rob the child of the ability to realize that they can handle these situations effectively, that they can cope with them. So by providing the accommodations, we believe it kind of interferes with the child's development of a sense of self-efficacy. So the ability or the knowledge to believe that they can impact their environment in a positive way. And also for the child to learn that oftentimes these things that they fear will happen either don't happen, you know, so it's not really that likely to happen, or that even if things don't go well, that the child's able to cope with it. So we really are encouraging family members and teachers and so forth to allow the child to experience their anxiety, to develop these coping strategies and get that sense of self-efficacy built up. Do you think that there would be a good checklist or interference scale, as it were, to self-identify these accommodating behaviors, even by school professionals and or the parents? Well, there certainly are measures out there, you know, like a family accommodation scale that, you know, we can use from a clinical perspective. I think, uh, you know, oftentimes we, you know, we ask uh, teachers and we try ourselves to educate teachers and school counselors as to what anxiety disorders look like uh, in the classroom setting, you know, give them some diagnostic information so they can identify these sorts of issues uh, provide them with um, knowledge that they can impart not only to the child but to their you know family members, so an education component, and even at times the ability for some of our um, school personnel and family members to intervene on a limited you know in a limited way to kind of do some exposure work and help that child. Um, so a lot of it is just coming from general knowledge about anxiety disorders, what accommodation looks like, you know, examples of accommodation, and then kind of having the knowledge to know how to withdraw those accommodations in a more gradual way that, again, may lead to some temporary distress on part of the child, but overall are going to be productive in terms of helping that child through their anxiety disorder. So wrap it up for us with your best advice on some strategies for reducing the need for accommodation, what you would like school professionals and parents to know about accommodating that anxious child, what you would like them to know. Well, certainly, you know, it takes some you know, measure of understanding, as I said, about what accommodation looks like, are, are family members recognizing uh, their behaviors, 
Um, are teachers recognizing what they're doing in the classroom, you know, in, in terms of response to an anxious child? But some of the things that we do is we will respond, for example, to requests for reassurance with a very uncertain, vague response, such as, you know, what do you think uh, in response to the child? Or, you know, what's your best guess? Or I don't know. And what that does is, again, it doesn't provide that uh, reduction in anxiety the child is after and allows them to deal with that uncertainty. We can also have uh, parents uh, and teachers limit the number of, say, reassurance requests in a given time period. So set some goals. You get, you know, one question per 30 minutes, and then we're going to try to reduce those number of questions over time. Uh, another strategy, again, even more so with reassurance, is to delay those uh, reassurance uh, providing. You know, in other words, let's see if we can go five or 10 minutes before we provide that reassurance to see if the child can learn to adjust to that. We can also set up some what we call token economy interventions where the child would be rewarded for limiting the number of you know, requests for reassurance uh, during a certain time period. Um, the other strategy that we use is really trying to look for other ways to replace those accommodation responses. So in particular, with reassurance, we talk about something called a validation. So validation is kind of a, can be a verbal, can be a nonverbal communication to that child that they're, the way they feel, the way they think, or even their behaviors have causes, are understandable and that we're really trying to have, you know, parents and school personnel try to understand what that child's experience is like, to show empathy and understanding through validation, or even get some clarification, you know, on what is it that the child's dealing with and, and trying to show that they understand how that works for the child. And there's lots of different ways to provide val validation, but simply just showing that empathy and support can be really, really helpful uh, for a child to understand that what they're experiencing makes sense, that it's difficult for them, and that the parent or the teacher is there to support them. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Jacoby. Rogers Behavioral Health is working each day to ensure that those with mental health challenges have access to the highest quality of care and most effective treatment available today. To learn more about the many ways Rogers can help children, teens, families, and schools, please visit rogersbh.org today. That's rogersbh.org. I'm Melanie Cole. Thanks so much for listening.